Welcome to the Dental CEO Show. I'm Dr. Sam Dar. And I'm Samantha Leonard. And we are the co-founders of Stream Dental HR. We started the show to talk about everything they didn't teach us in dental school, about running a business, managing a team, and being a leader. And as the CEO and office managers, it's your responsibility to hire the right people, onboard and integrate them with the right systems, motivate, engage, and lead them to success. With our experience owning, managing, and operating six multi-million dollar practices, we learned a thing or two on what not to do and eventually what our secret formula for success was. And it all boiled down to people and processes. That's what brought us lots of profit and success. Join us as we dive into everything from hiring, leadership, communication, systems, scaling, and HR. The most fundamental pieces to turn your practice from survival mode into growth mode. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental CEO Show. Today's guest has one of the most enthusiastic energy, amazing energy, and is just full of wisdom that I could just talk to for hours. He has so much experience that he's gained over his journey from being an associate to an owner of one of the fastest growing DSOs to now the owner of Joyful People and Traction for Dental. His company is revolutionizing culture and how practice owners can find, manage, and lead millennial talent. Now, this topic is near and dear to my heart, not only because I'm a millennial myself, but this is often something uh, that practice owners are unfamiliar with and are dealing with multiple generations within their practice. And oftentimes, millennials are not the nicest or whatever the painedest picture that that there is out there. So I'm excited to have Eric Roman join us here today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Samantha, it is always so much fun when we can sit here and jam out. Hopefully we generate some value for uh, for our participants today. Won't that be great? Oh, I know they will. I know we're going to be blowing some socks off. I know there's going to be so much great uh, discussions that we're going to be having today. So before we dive in, though, I'd love to just have the audience learn a little bit more about you. So why don't you tell them about your journey? I'd love it. So technically, I am a dentist. I started the journey in 2007, graduated dental school. Clearly, you can't be a dentist with hair like this. So I don't currently <laughs> practice now. But, uh, but I definitely did then. I've only known one thing in my life, and that's group practice dentistry, the DSO industry. I got a wild hair. I decided that was going to be the path and the journey for me. And over the course of about 12 years, 11 or 12 years, I have built two totally different dental groups. One was an absolute freaking failure. Um, I lost everything. I woke up one day thinking I, I, that I went to bed one night thinking I had an asset worth millions of dollars. I woke up a couple of days later with nothing, not even a job, thanks to a regulatory lawsuit that blew up in my face. So I've, I've been through a lot. And then I started it all over again. I, I guess, you know, from the Phoenix will, or from the ashes will rise the Phoenix. There's some quote like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I built a second dental group that was super successful. And, um, Along the way, it was interesting, Samantha, um, you know, as I was, as I was getting uh, quite a bit down that journey, I started asking myself the question, why am I doing this? Actually, I remember on my daughter's ninth birthday, I was doing a, this is something we have to do with millennials. I was doing a quarterly review with my daughter 
And she challenged me and said, dad, before nine more years have happened, I'm out of the house. You keep telling me you're doing this for us as a family. When are we going to spend more time together? I was like, wow, ouch, that hit that hit home. She was right. And everything. And so I had to right size my life. And that meant me um, making an exit as CEO from the, from the group that I built. Thankfully, we had a wonderful private equity exit that gave me the freedom. I'm not set for the rest of my life, but I'm free to, to, to live in my own unique ability. And that's part of what we've done now is I figured out how, how maybe I could have my greatest impact on the world. Isn't that something that millennials talk about all the time too, right? <laughs> and um, do you know the interesting thing though, Samantha, after leaving a company with hundreds of team members and then like going to a company of one for a while, yeah. I realized how much I miss my people. And you know, like one of my lessons along the way is that for some reason we're all chasing a pot of gold that it's at the end of the rainbow. But what we, what we don't notice is that the beauty is in that we're riding on a rainbow and like, mm-hmm. and until you're gone from it, you don't know. So that's a lot of what I've done since. Did that give you a good background on me, Samantha? Jeez. I just want to like, I just want to pick all of those things, like, and just talk a little bit more about each of those chapters, because I feel that that was just kind of that sequence, that ladder almost, right? We, we had this happen. We learned from it. We leveled it up. We, you know, just kept continue to grow and advance to the point where you are right now. So I, I would love to just kind and this of learn is just about- another stage, Samantha, you know, yeah. like I've stopped projecting and saying, this is what Eric has to do. I give up on that crap because life just gives me what I need when I need it. Totally. Totally. So let's talk about the struggles that you went through because you changed from a CEO and you were a CEO in all of those chapters, but then yes, now from you know all what? of that, but you learned. I lived yeah. the life of the CEO. That's also practicing dentistry every day yet trying to build a company, or should I say that's practicing dentistry five or six days a week? I did that. I know a lot of, a lot of people listening to this did that. And then I had to go through the gradual transition. I actually left the chair, then financially couldn't sustain that had to go back in. And I went through all the things. So the answer is yes, been there, done that. Um, your question was challenges though, right? Yeah. First one, you know what? I didn't go to dental school to manage people. Mm-hmm. Let's be open and honest. In my experience, I have not encountered more than a handful of dentists that said, I love to manage people. <laughs> um, I ran away from it, Samantha. I remember, uh, actually, here's a couple of Eric Roman quotes. That's what I hire a manager for is to manage the people. You know, like, oh, that's kind of yucky now based on what I've learned. See that the thing is, Samantha, we all have a responsibility for management, even if we're just managing in our own lives. And yet for some reason we turned because there weren't systems, because there weren't easy ways, because like, look at the, what do we see when we think of management? We think of the office or movies like Office Space, like, hey, Eric, did you bring me the TPS? (laughs) Where's my stapler? Let's go to, let's go to HR. We're going to do a, we're, we're going to do a, a PIP plan because you missed your TPS reporting it. Like that's where we live. So I just thought I'm going to let this be somebody else's problem. I'm going to abdicate responsibility. And Samantha, like, Hey, Dr. Roman, it's me, your manager. Listen, we have to talk to Tina, the hygienist when you get done in this procedure. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be right in. Will you go wait on me? I would run out of the office and say that I like my, my son's diaper had exploded catastrophically. I would do anything 
to get out of those meetings, right? And my manager would call and she'd be like, where, where did you, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I like had some stuff come up. Can you just handle that meeting with Tina about her performance? Cause you got this, you got this yeah. girl. Yeah. So man, I didn't want to do it, but that didn't serve me very well, Samantha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eventually I had to learn. Eventually I recognized here's, here's a reality for a lot of us. We can abdicate responsibility for management, but that means we're also abdicating, which means completely letting go of any responsibility for our culture, for the development of our people, right? For the ability to acquire and develop and find and, and, and cultivate new people. Well, guess what? I made a decision to grow my business. Like I decided I wasn't going to be a practice anymore. I was going to be a business. And then I decided I wasn't going to be a business. I was going to be an organization. If you're going to be an organization and you're the leader and the CEO, somebody's got to control that culture. It's you. Somebody's mm-hmm. got to manage your manager. It's me. Like we got to just do this stuff. And so ironically, over the years, hi, joyful people, the thing I hated doing the most that I ran from the most and never thought I would be good at became my greatest skill. Go figure. And the thing I enjoyed, never saw that one going. Yeah. I mean, that that is just amazing. And I think there are so many things that I really kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into because I agree with you a hundred percent. And I think a lot of times, um, dentists, they're in the healthcare, they're in the profession of helping people. And so having those difficult conversations goes against probably every, you know, inch of their body and being. And so oftentimes, you know, like you said, we tend to just kind of run away from the things that are scared, the things that are difficult, that we didn't really learn how to have those conversations effectively. And so we just kind of sweep everything under the rug. And when we, and when we, and when we pull it together and try and do it, we typically suck at it. I'm going to be really open and honest with everybody (laughs) on here right now. Like we typically suck at those meetings, right? Like, and they don't turn out the way that we want either, you know? So yeah, you're so right, Samantha. It's, it's almost against our essence to have those difficult conversations. All we wanted to do was help people. This right. doesn't seem very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you become, when you ignore, let's call it quote unquote, you know, for lack of a better word, we're ignoring and abdicating like you were mentioning, but then all of a sudden, whether we aren't participating and actively, you know, creating a culture, a culture will still happen, right? Oh. Whether we choose to be a part of it or not. It's totally right. Like people talk all the time about Samantha culture exists in your business. It just isn't the one that you want it to be right. Like there is no like, well, we've got to build a, we've got to build a culture. Oh no, you built a culture. Do you know what else is funny in that Samantha is like, I talk about all time that people think culture in this day and age is about kombucha and trail mix and like casual Fridays. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We are like finishing each other's sandwiches. Um, So everybody thinks that's what culture is in this new era. That is not culture. Those are perks. Like those don't even, those don't even have anything to do with it. Do you know what else is funny? Everybody thinks culture is about, oh, well, we like each other. That's also not culture. Mm -hmm. Do you know what culture is about? Like in my businesses, culture was about performance, Culture was about like who we intrinsically are and how we respond when you put us in a corner. Like Mm -hmm. culture was about the standards and norms like of like, you know, like the people you want to stand side by side with when you're in the heat of battle. That was what culture was about. It was about kicking freaking butt 
by delivering great care, you know? So anyway. No, I, I think, well, obviously you can tell by your enthusiasm and how passionate you are about this. And I can really, let me ask you. So from when you started your first in, initiative and kind of creating, going from, like you were saying, the practice of dentistry to the business of dentistry. And then when you started the DSO and went into more of an organizational mindset, do you think the biggest difference between those two stages were because you focused on the culture and the people that helped you kind of create that, like one of the fastest growing DSOs? Like what was that secret sauce? Do you know what? We decided that that was going to be one of the cornerstones of our growth. In other words, like maybe if you think of it another way, Samantha, we asked the questions. Do you know one of the biggest things I see in working with dental clients? We think we can do everything great. And we think we can be everything to everyone. It's kind of like saying, I want to deliver Ruth's Chris steaks at McDonald's prices and um, at Wendy's Excel or Taco Bell's accelerated speed. No, Jimmy John's, Jimmy John's speed, right? Like your sandwich is ready before you finish ordering, right? That's not realistic. And so we had to decide what the core components of who we were designed to be were going to, what those were going to be. Culture was a big piece of it. I wanted to enjoy the journey, but here's the other funny thing, Samantha, like, yes, was that a big piece? We said that at the beginning and everybody else is like, oh, Eric, you're so like, you've got so much energy. It's so easy for you to build a culture. You see the good culture I created in the end, but I'm the same guy that built three really crappy cultures before that. And so a lot of it, Samantha, was about learning the skills in how we actually build a culture. When I'm saying that people think culture is kombucha and trail mix, I'm the guy that had a trail mix dispenser and a a refrigerator full of kombucha. (laughs) Didn't serve me very well. I'm also the guy that built a fraternity culture um, inside the business. Didn't serve me very well or my patients or anybody, right? Like I built a lot of crappy cultures along the way too before I learned what skills were required and what a real culture looked like. Okay. I think you set that up very, very well for us just to go, how do we do what you just said? How do we build that culture? Yeah. So first things first, like every, uh, most of us try to build aspirational cultures. In In other words, like things we want that aren't really who we are. Let me give you another example. How many of us have worked with leaders that don't follow their own rules? Yeah, uh-huh, right. That's a bad way to build a culture, right? The other thing too, so, so cultures aren't about what we aspire to be necessarily. It's about who we really deep down are. In other words, like, are you willing to let go of someone because they're not a cultural fit for the values that you have. Because if you're not, you ain't gonna get the culture you want, right? Do you reward the people inside your business every day for exemplifying your culture? In other words, it does no good for me to say, hey, Sam, great job on the phone. But when I say, Sam, today you were, you proved why you're such an incredible fit for this culture because your work on the phone validated how we always put our patients first. I rewarded the culture. I recognized you for the culture piece, the value piece there, not just saying, great job, we got another patient, you know, totally different, right? And then the other thing, Samantha, like one of the hardest things in life 
one of the jobs, oh, this is the CEO show, right? Yeah. Part of your job as a CEO, you don't want to hear it. It's being a broken record over and over and over and over again for the culture, for the values, for the vision of where are we going. Um, one of the things that we always said in the EOS world was that humans have to hear something seven times before they actually grasp it or it soaks in. I think that's a lie. I think the number is really like 13 for men, maybe like seven for women, but 13 for men for sure. I would say things over and over and over again. And like, all of a sudden I'd have a team member be like, oh, Dr. Roman, I love the new vision. I'm like, new vision? Like, yeah, the new vision you said today in the meeting. Like, you've been here for six years. Nothing's changed in that vision. It's the exact same thing. No, it was new. I heard it. I heard it different today. Where have we been? So yeah. We have to be broken records as leaders inside of our culture, right? So rewarding, recognizing, letting people go because they're not a culture fit. That's really like, here's the thing. When you tolerate a disease, mm -hmm. it infects everybody, right? Yep. Like, and a disease in this sense doesn't mean that they're bad people. By the way, oh, you want a really good example? My wife is not a culture fit in any business I've ever built. I love her. We have five beautiful children together. She's my partner for life. And like, she means more to me than any business ever will. Yet she doesn't fit in my businesses. She can't play on my teams because her values don't match the values of the businesses I built. So when I say that, like, we have to let go of people, it's not because we don't love them. I love her very much. She just can't work in my business. Interesting, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I think there's so many great points that you'd mentioned, but I think the hardest part, like you said, is that sometimes when these practice owners are, you know, let's say, for example, I have my lead assistant and literally she or he is my right hand, like reads my mind is just great with patients, but not great with the team, great with the culture. But yet I have had maybe five or six employees leave because of this one person. You got it. But because we're, we've got that safety net, but then if I let this person, my lead go, right, that's where we kind of get stuck in that, that, well, what if my, you know, my, my, my treatment planning is going to go down. I'm going to lose money, the efficiency, da, 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 da. So I think that's where usually a lot of practice owners kind of feel that that's a really hard decision to make. Do I keep dealing with this hard thing or do I keep dealing with this hard thing? And you know what, particularly in the world you and I are dealing with right now with an absence or dearth of exceptional talent out there, it's even more difficult. But here's the deal, Samantha, in the example you just gave, your culture is of tolerating poor behavior for high performance. That's what your culture is. So what you just gave me, what is the, we, we can have the aspirational culture of the words, but it's a lie. The culture you're showing your team is that if you do what drives money into the bank account, that's what matters most, even if you're a jerk about it. So guess what? That's your culture. Culture isn't necessarily what you say if you don't live it, right? So right. like that was the catch. Like there's the cultures we say, and then there's the cultures that are real, you know? <laughs> and that's the reality of most of our practices yeah. as well. But you know how, so can I give a little application on how we shift that? Like yeah, fundamentally, like I would end up in that situation. Dr. Roman, we're dying. Like the, the last hire, like, isn't cutting it. Like we're going to either you're going to let go of her or we're going to murder her or him or whoever it is. Like we got to do something. 
And I and when your culture is really at work there, you can establish what is it that's not fit? Like, oh, it's capacity. Like we thought that he had the capability to do the job. He doesn't, right? And we've done the remediation work. It's not there, but this is killing us. And my challenge, hey, I've been advertising for the position for a while. I'm doing everything I can and throwing everything at it. And we're not getting any leads. Option one, if I get rid of this right now, this team member, we have a hole and we got a big problem. Option two, we tolerate it until we can find somebody. What do you think we should do? Uh, when, when we built the culture the right way, Samantha, what would happen is the teams would come to me and they'd be like, Roman, we made a decision. We're going to cover. We're going to all take on extra work and cover for, for two months. We'll give, can you find somebody in two months? It's that two months I ought to be able to find somebody. We'll cover the extra shifts in order to get this done and make, because this is not, it's hurting our patient care. We need to get this out of here now. That's when your culture of performance has really come to life. Like they're not creating new problems. They're creating solutions, you know? So anyway. Definitely. Oh, I think, uh, I, well, you and I have had several conversations about this and we go down into a deep rabbit hole and just, we just, there's so much synergy between culture the two nerds. of us. But. <laughs> we need some t-shirts or some hoodies with that hat on there. Do it. Let's do it. I'm writing it down. Okay. So I know we kind of highlighted just a few aspects or a few scenarios that are pretty common in our industry right now, but what would you say that is kind of wrong with HR or the myths of HR, the myths of culture in our industry and what do we need to do to overcome it? So first and foremost, I preface this by saying, I consider everything that you do as an HR provider to be modern and adaptable. So I'm not talking about you. You know, okay. um, we built, we built, like what most people don't know is the history of human resources, right? Like that this is an industry that's been around for almost 200 years as it's currently being iterated, right? And so many of the systems and processes that, that we had developed were developed for the industrial era for factory workers. That's what HR processes and principles were built on was factories because that's what was the core of our world at that time. And so we adapt, do we look like factories right now in the way that we're operating? No, we're in a social media era in an information age with a, with a, with a, um, a, a workforce that doesn't look anything like or have any aspirations of running a factory, right? And so unfortunately, a lot of our modalities haven't adapted. They haven't adapted. And you know, the other thing, Samantha, like what else has changed? Well, my parents, their goal was to stay in their job for their entire career and show their commitment and retire with a pension. Whereas your workforce and my workforce today may stay for six weeks. And then they may realize they have something else they want to do. Nobody in this current day and age that's in my workforce is entering a position thinking this is the place where I'm probably going to work my entire life. That's a huge freaking shift, right? Like, mm -hmm. and yet when we don't address that, right, the norm is I'm not going to stay with you forever, Eric. But if the expectation is you are going to stay with me forever, Samantha, all of a sudden we're just lying to each other about everything that we do. So I'm setting the stage for there's so many as we shift generational dynamics, but we don't shift expectations. 
we're screwed. And you know what, by the way, the good news is every generation does this to the generations that follow. How come these kids don't work as hard as we used to work? And have, have, have... Thank you for joining us on this episode. Join us on our next episode for more great conversations, strategies, and inspirations to help you grow and scale your team and business. If you love our show, make sure to leave a review, share it with your fellow dental friends, and remember to follow us and join our email list at streamdentalhr.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and even TikTok. See you next time.